So read with me from John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son so that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to those You have given Him. Now this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. I have brought You glory on earth by completing the work You gave Me to do. And now, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory I had with You before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, you have given us your word. And today I ask that you give me the strength to speak it faithfully. Lord, your word is like a fire. And Your Word is like a hammer that breaks rock in places. Use Your Word today to purify us as gold is purified by the fire. And use Your Word to break the hardness of our hearts so that we might live in fellowship with You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we pray, do we pray for the right things? Many of us may use a model or an outline of prayer that we've learned over the years. Some of us may use the ACT 
S model of prayer where we give our adoration, our praise, our worship to God. We confess to God our sins. We offer our thanksgiving to God. And then we give our, our supplication or our requests to God. Or maybe several months ago we talked about praying through the Psalms where we we take a particular song, psalm and we begin to read that psalm or another portion of Scripture. And as God brings things to our minds for us to pray for, we, we, we pray and let the Spirit lead us in our prayer through the Word of God that we find in Scripture. But whatever method of prayer that we use, how do we handle the petition part, the supplication part of our prayers? And do we ever consider that we may be handling those requests incorrectly? Today I want us to study the prayer that Jesus, that John recorded for us here in John 17 and, and see how our requests stack up to what Jesus prayed for for His disciples and also for all those who would come to Him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the teaching of the disciples. And that, of course, includes us. Now in chapter 16, Jesus had told the disciples... Uh, back here he says, Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. Verse 26, And that day I will you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This prayer that is recorded for us gives us an example of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And so today I want to look at how Jesus prayed for Himself and for His glory, how Jesus prayed for the disciples, and how ultimately Jesus prayed for us as well. The first thing Jesus prays for is found here in, in chapter 17, verses 1-5. through 5. John tells us that after this, after this teaching that we've had from chapters 13-16, through 16, Jesus Prayed. He looked toward heaven and he, and he prayed. We know from the other Gospels that, that most much of Jesus' ministry was shaped by prayer. After teaching, after performing miracles, He would uh, go away by Himself and He would pray. And we actually have one of those prayers here for us in John chapter 17. And we see what it is that shapes Jesus' prayer in this, in this beginning section as He prays for Himself. What does He pray for? The petition that shapes verses 1-5 through five is, Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. What it is that shapes Jesus' prayer is this idea of glory. The glory of the Son and especially the glory of the Father. Now what does it mean to glorify somebody? What does it mean when we give somebody glory? There's a lot of words that... Uh, a lot of ideas that are kind of packed into this word glory. One of them is weight. Um, somebody who was heavy is said to have glory in a certain way. Uh, but that's an extra biblical usage of the word. The biblical usage of the word is to give splendor or majesty to a person. Think about a political figure, somebody who is important uh, politically in a country. Florence Litauer has written books on personality different personality types that manifest themselves in humans. And one of the examples she gave was an opportunity that she had to meet Bill Clinton. Now she said she may not have agreed with everything that Bill Clinton did, everything that Bill Clinton said or stood for, 
But she said when she had that opportunity to stand there and shake his hand, there was a certain glory, there was a certain majesty to being there in the presence of the President of the United States that came because the authority of the presidency had been placed upon his shoulders. Jesus is saying, Lord, give me your glory and your majesty so that I can give you glory and majesty and splendor and majesty in return. This is the idea that God is the creator of the universe. God is the maker of all things. He has set everything in motion. He has set everything in place. He puts together all the rules that govern nature and govern people. And because of that, He is due a certain level of splendor and majesty that we cannot give to Him. Jesus says, glorify Me so that I may glorify You. And Jesus says, I have glorified You. I have You have given Me a mission to do on this earth, and, and I have done it. And he's, he's speaking kind of in overarching pictures because we know that at this point His mission is not complete. But he says, everything that you have called me to do, I have done, and it's unspoken in there that I am going to do. This is Jesus saying, you have, I'm going to bring you glory even through the cross, which is a theme that repeats itself frequently throughout John. He said, even as the Son of Man is lifted up in John chapter 3, glory, exaltation for Jesus comes through the cross. And Jesus says, I will glorify you, God, through the cross through my death, through my resurrection. The great chapter, Isaiah 53, that talks about by His wounds we are healed and how like a sheep He was led to the slaughter ends with a picture of all this happened according to the will of God. And Jesus says, I have fulfilled Your will and I am bringing You glory. Give me glory. But the second reason, Jesus wants glory first off because He will take that glory and then glorify the Father. The second reason Jesus calls for glory is because the glory is His. Think back to Philippians 2. It's a, it, I know it's one that I use frequently whenever we talk about Jesus, but it's a great summary of the mission and the work of Jesus. And, and Paul tells the Philippian church, and he's talking to them about unity. He says, be like Christ. Humble yourselves and be like Christ who did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied Himself of that glory and took on the form of a servant. The servant of... Uh, took on human flesh to be a form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, the death on the cross. Jesus says, glorify Me because that glory is Mine. And we have this reciprocal revolving relationship of glory. The glory of the Son is the glory of the Father's. Is the glory of the Son is the glory of the Father. Is the glory of the Son. And we see this, this relationship between the Father and Son. A relationship of equality. Equality is God. Different. There's a differentiation in their work in the world, but they are together as one. They are God. And the reality is we cannot ask for glory the way Jesus did, but we can seek God's glory in our prayers. Now, none of us are the perfect Son of God who took on human flesh and have lived among the world. But when we pray for things, when we pray for someone who's sick, we need to pray that in the context of praying for the glory of God. Why do we want them healed? Because we want God to be glorified. Why do we want them to remain faithful to God in their illness? Because we want God to be glorified. 
And why do we want to know that even if God chooses not to heal them on this side of eternity, even though they leave us, even though they die, we know that God is glorified because He has healed them ultimately as He has promised. We pray for strength. We pray for healing because we know that it glorifies God. So Jesus prays for Himself and He prays that God be glorified in Him so that He can be glorified in God. And then He turns and prays for the disciples. Now we're going to look at how He prays for protection for the disciples and He's going to pray for sanctification or being set apart for the disciples. But before He prays for these two things, He tells us why He's praying for them. Verses 6-11a. through 11a, I have revealed you to those whom you gave Me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory came, has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. Why does Jesus pray for the disciples? We see three reasons in there. First, Jesus prays for the disciples because they were gods, and God has given them to Jesus. And Jesus says, you gave me these disciples, and I have done everything for them that you asked me to do. Because they are yours, I pray for them. Because you have given to me, I pray for them. Now, it's interesting here that, that Jesus contrasts them with the world. In the book of John, the world, for God so loved the world, the world is humanity and rebellion against God. And Jesus says, I, you, we have pulled them out of the world. They have come out of the world because they believed in me. They have come out of the world because you gave them to me. And he says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world. Now, why would Jesus pray for them and not for the world? That's well, because this is a very specific prayer here. He's praying for those who believe. Those who believe need protection. Those who believe need sanctification and being set apart by God for a holy use and a holy purpose. Those who are still part of the world need prayer as well, but they only need one. It's to be taken out of the world and to become part of not the world. For those who are in rebellion against God, yes, we can pray for their healing if they're sick. Yes, we can pray for their relief if they're struggling. But all of those need to be preceded by a prayer that they come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They come to realize the depth of their sin, the depth of their need for God. And that before they need physical healing, they need spiritual healing. Before they need uh, relational reconciliation, they need reconciliation with God. Before they need relief from financial poverty, they need relief from the spiritual poverty that is theirs because they are still part of the world. And so Jesus says, I pray for them because they belong to us. They are ours. And they are in a special relationship to us. They are ours because they believe. That's the second reason Jesus prays for them. They are ours because they believe. And Jesus says He prays for them because He's about to leave them. He has provided protection for them while he was with them, but he's about to leave both to the cross and ultimately back to the throne room of God in heaven. And so that's the first thing he prays for them. He prays for them for protection. 
He said, in the midst of the world hating them, He said, I want them to be faithful to the truth. Protect their witness. Oftentimes when life gets hard, we've talked a little bit about this before, when the world shows its hatred to us, when the world oppresses us because what we believe, the, the, the temptation is to abandon truth. Because we want to be liked. We want to be loved. But Jesus says, keep them faithful to the truth. Protect the truth in their life. It's the truth that has saved them. It is believing and obeying you that has saved them and brought them out of the world. Protect the witness to the truth. Don't let them jettison what they believe simply because they think it will buy them credibility within the world. And he says, protect their joy. He said, I have given my joy to them. The, the joy that Jesus set before him that led him to the cross, according to the book of Hebrews. Jesus says, I've given them that joy, protected in their life. Protected in, the, in their heart. The world is going to hate them. The world is going to attack them. For, for ten of these, these men that He is praying for right now, the world is going to kill them. Protect the joy. Protect the truth and protect the joy. But He says also, sanctify them by the truth. Now, we think of sanctification in terms of holiness and becoming more and more holy like God is holy. And that's a great way to think of sanctification. But I think here what Jesus is talking about is kind of its broader meaning. Meaning, Sanctification ultimately means just something that is set apart for a specific use. And so Jesus says, I have been set apart for a specific mission in the world. Set the disciples apart as well. Part of that setting apart is being holy. But what Jesus is focusing on here is the mission that they have been given. Jesus' mission was to buy eternal life for all of humanity. And Jesus says, by their... We're going to look here in verse 20 where He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in Me through their message. He said, set them apart for that specific message. We, we see this idea of setting apart show up oftentimes in the Old Testament. It's a word that the Hebrew word is actually used in relationship to the temple. There's an incense altar inside the tabernacle and inside the temple that was set apart to burn a special incense that was set apart to cloud the temple so that when the priest came in, he could not see the glory of God. There are other tables and implements and lampstands set apart for holy use within the temple. And that's what Jesus is saying here. These men are set apart for a mission to proclaim My name to the world. And so as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, are we praying that they are protected? Are we praying that God strengthens them through His truth so that as they are set apart for a mission, they might enter into and walk into that mission? And then finally, Jesus prays for all believers. And this is amazing. Because here as Jesus is ministering to these, these, 12, or these 11 men at this point, because remember Judas has left, he has abandoned them, he is, he is about his work of betraying Christ. Jesus not only prays for these men, but He looks down the corridor of time. And He said, there are a lot of people that are going to come to knowledge of Me through the teaching of these men. That's what He's going to give them the Holy Spirit for. And so they remember His teaching. He said, I want to pray for them as well. And He prays for one very difficult thing for us, and He prays for one just absolutely glorious thing for us. The first thing He prays for is the difficult one. It is unity. Unity in truth and unity in mission. 
He says, Father, you and I are one. We have this relationship in the Trinity. We are both fully God. And we are equal within the Trinity. We are unified, and so let my people be unified. Honestly, we're, we're doing a little difficult on that in, in the world today. We, in the church, are oftentimes not unified. But I think it's important for us to see that we need to be unified in truth and also in mission. What do I mean by unified in truth? There are certain things that the Scripture lays out for us about God, about humanity, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit that are essential to belief, that are essential to doctrine. The summary form is, is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And, in his, you know, and then it goes into Jesus Christ and the, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. And then it goes into the Holy Spirit and the establishment of the church. And that's a summary of these truths that we must be unified around. Now, there are churches in the Greenbrier Valley that we are not meeting with today. We are not gathered here together in the same building, but we are unified in truth. We differ on some things that I would consider to be minor. But we are unified on truth. There are other churches in the Greenbrier Valley that have said, oh, Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, well, we can scratch that part out of the Apostles' Creed. Or, or oh, he was, he was resurrected, dead and buried. Well, we can scratch the resurrected part out of the Apostles' Creed. Some of them would even say we could scratch the historical Jesus out of the Apostles' Creed because he really didn't even exist. J. Gresham Machen would say that they are no longer Christian. They are a whole other religion as they scratch these truths out of the Apostles' Creed and scratch these truths out of the Scripture. And so we are called to be unified in truth. We are called to preach faithfully those truths of Scripture. And yes, the types of worship that we have are sometimes differ. We are unified in truth, maybe not necessarily in, in our organization. But we are also to be unified in our mission. What is the mission of the church? Is the mission of the church to make sure there's no more poor people in Greenbrier County? Is the mission of the church to make sure that we have a Christian nation? Is the mission of the church to provide water for people in developing countries? Those are side effects of the mission, but the mission of the church is to teach the truth so that others might believe. Sometimes we have to alleviate poverty before people can hear us and hear the gospel message. Sometimes we have to take the gospel message first and then bring poverty alleviation on behind it. But the mission of the church is to proclaim Christ and to proclaim the glory of God. And that is what we are here for. That is what we have been called to do. And there are churches in Greenbrier Valley that are unified in that mission. We may have different denominations appended to our name. We may look different in our worship services, but we are united in the mission of speaking the gospel for God's glory. And then that leads us to the second thing that he prays for all Christians. And, that, and he circles back around to verse 5. Verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before you before the world began. And he circles back around and he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
One thing we cannot do as fallen humanity is to see the glory of God and survive. Jesus says, your truth and my work in that truth is going to make it so that they can see my glory. They can stand before me secure in the knowledge that as your holiness, your glory, your splendor, and your majesty pours over them, they can take it. They can see it. They can behold it. And they can rejoice in it. This blew my mind as I was considering this yesterday. I know it's supposed to be my day off. not supposed to think about these things. But it, it suddenly struck me yesterday. The glory of Christ is mine to see. When I stand before Him, when He returns and He is clothed in the radiance and the splendor and the majesty that is rightfully His as the second person in the Trinity, He has prayed that I be able to see that. He has prayed that the truth of the disciples, the truth that He gave Him, the truth that they believed, the truth that they have passed down to me through His Word, Jesus prays that that truth transforms me so that I can stand and bask in that glory. That I can stand and be warmed perfectly by that light and not be afraid of it destroying me. Not be afraid of the holiness of God wiping me out. Because He has drawn me into His presence and He has said, come with me into glory. I have prayed that you've seen my glory. I have secured for you the ability to see my glory. And I have secured for you the ability to live forever in the presence of that glory, in the presence of that sun, that light that shines from God and God manifests. So Jesus prays for Himself. He shapes this prayer with the glory of God. He prays for His disciples. He shapes His prayer for them by the glory of God, praying for their protection, praying for their sanctification. And He prays for us shaping that prayer by the glory of God by praying for our unity and being able to see His glory. When we pray for our loved ones, how do we pray? Do we just pray that they be healed? Which is fine. We want those that we love who are sick, who are suffering, who are ailing, we want them to be healed. But why? Why do we want them to be healed? Oftentimes it's so we can just have another moment or two. Sometimes it's so that we don't hurt. Sometimes it's so that we don't have to deal with their suffering. But our prayers for healing, our prayers for relief, our prayers for our loved ones and our family members should be shaped by God's glory. What brings God the most splendor and majesty? What brings God the most glory? Only He knows. And so we pray, Lord, be glorified by their healing. Lord, be glorified by the restoration of their marriage. Lord, be glorified by whatever. But specifically, we pray that God be glorified by the lost being drawn to Him. Being drawn to a relationship where they can see God's glory as well and not fear. We pray for protection in the midst of trial and persecution so that they might continue to be faithful and to glorify God in the midst of difficulty. We pray for the glory of the mission that we have been given as we move forward. And we pray for the glory of the unity. And yes, we do. We pray as well that one day we see His glory and no longer fear. Let us pray.
Our gracious and holy God, help us to live lives in context of your glory. and Help us to pray for those whom we love and pray that your glory might work in their lives, whether they need the gospel, whether they need healing, whether they need relief from whatever it is, struggle, whatever struggle they have. Lord, help us to seek your glory in all things. Amen.